Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Welcome back. I am Gabe Gonzalez, and you are listening to the QWERTY Podcast. Another lovely day, another lovely pod. This is a weekly show from QWERTY and Forever Dog, where I will cover news, politics, and pop culture that impact the LGBTQ community, that are adjacent to our community, that impact our needs. And I will also invite a guest uh, just to hang out a bit, kind of reflect on the week, and generally keep it cute as we do. That's, that's my priority here. This week, we're going to talk about uh, quite a few stories. We're running the gamut, all right? This week, we're talking about the Disney character that is one step closer to being canonically queer after a podcast interview with that. Uh, which TV network has spent an obsessive amount of time lying about trans people? I'm sure you can guess. And how the Vatican may have cost one gay comedian a paying gig. Now, those are hard to come by these days. I'm not happy about that. Plus, we'll be interviewing an iconic guest who has toured with artists like Cher, collaborated on songs with Elton John, and hosts the best, if not the only, Romy and Michelle-themed party on the East Coast of the United States. We'll be talking to Bright Light, Bright Light about his music, his favorite divas, and his 2020 album, Fun City. But first, let's talk about those headlines I teased at the top of the show in a little segment we like to call Catch Her Up. All right, our first story of the day, B.D. Wong, the voice of Li Shang in Mulan, the studly character we all remember, spoke up on how he views his character's sexuality. And we actually have Las Culturistas to thank for this cultural nugget. Look at Matt and Bowen going from commenting on cult to making it. In an interview, B.D. Wong responded to a question about his character's sexuality in the animated film and the character's bisexual icon status for seemingly being attracted to Mulan in both male drag and when she's feminine presenting again toward the end of the animated film. And Wong says that in retrospect, he actually views Li Shang as fluid in his sexuality. He told hosts Bowen and Matt, quote, fluidity is a very important thing to acknowledge. When we made Mulan, fluidity wasn't a word. We didn't talk about fluidity. Now we have fluidity. So now when we watch Shang and his choices and his actions and see it through fluidity, this whole idea that there's a needle and it goes from zero to 100 and it doesn't have to be one place or another, it can move. You can change your pronouns and then change them the next day if you want. And that's good and should be the way it is. So in that case, I am recalibrating my answer. Of course he was, end quote. I don't know if I would call this outing. This is the kind of lovely, I don't know, departure from the closet, this entrance into the world that I love for animated characters. I am from Orlando, Florida, a place where you're either a Disney gay or have dated one. Uh, My relationship to Disney characters is fraught, but this is exciting. I am eager to celebrate this legacy. This is fantastic. All right, our second story of the week. Surprise, surprise, Fox 
news network, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, aired 86 mostly negative segments about trans people over two months. Since January, Republicans and even some unfortunate Democrats in some states have been obsessed with rolling back transgender rights. And if they're watching Fox News, it might not be a surprise. A study from Media Matters for America found that over the course of about two months, Fox News aired 86 segments that were overwhelmingly negative about trans Americans. Uh, Out of the 86 from January 20th to March 18th that Media Matters looked at, 54 of the segments said that transgender athletes will, quote, destroy women's sports, while hosts and guests on the channel repeatedly referred to transgender athletes as biological males. 33 segments discussed Biden's executive order on LGBTQ anti-discrimination protections, and according to Media Matters, almost all of these segments said or implied that the executive order was just about transgender athletes. If you were wondering how influential this channel actually is, a channel masquerading as news, but still treated as one, uh, a 2019 Pew survey shows It is the most commonly cited primary news source in the United States. 16% of respondents listed Fox News as their first source for news. So that's a statistic I'm going to be grappling with. Here's to hoping that someday soon, trans people can mockingly play Mariah Carey's obsessed for Tucker Carlson instead of spending time fighting off dangerous legislation that people like him support. All right, and our final story of the week. Mean Girls star Daniel Franzisi says the Vatican's homophobia cost him a gig, meaning that at least one Catholic institution has declared him too gay to attend the function. See what I did there? You like, y'all saw the movie. You loved it. Basically, Daniel Franzisi says a Catholic university based in Ohio hired him to host a gig, but the event coordinator was forced to fire him one day after the Vatican's decree about gay unions being sinful. Franzisi says Walsh University actually approached him. He didn't even seek out this gig. They finalized the contract details in February and then emailed him in March, apologizing for having to back out of the contract. He went on to explain why he spoke out about this in a video posted March 18th. He said, I realize I'm privileged and that I have this audience of followers that I could share this experience experience with. But what I started thinking about was what if this was a teacher or a student or a doctor or a patient or even a cook at the commissary? When does it end? This is a sad example of how tax-exempt institutions are using their own beliefs and the Unfair Religious Freedom Protection Act, and it can cause a ripple effect of discrimination and bigotry. I'm obsessed with Daniel Franzisi. I think he's hilarious, and I am so proud. I don't know. I'm not older than him or his grandma. I'm just deeply moved to see an actor that I loved in a movie kind of chart his own path, come out on his own terms, and also use his platform to speak out um, against injustice that isn't just impacting him, but can reverberate. I am so pleased that he spoke out, and I hope there are repercussions for this university. Not that Daniel Franzisi should ever have to host a gig there again. But the least they could do is pay him. I hope they did. All right, I'll keep you all posted on this story if anything changes. But now that we have gotten past these headlines, some good, some bad, some deeply disorienting, it is time to invite on today's guest, an artist we are very lucky to have on the podcast. He has toured with people like Ellie Golding and Cher, and he's recorded tracks with folks like the Scissor Sisters, Michael Kilgore, Justin Vivian Bond, and Elton John. Uh, The two of them actually performed live on The Graham Norton Show, and it is an iconic performance featuring a beautiful blazer with some great shoulder pads. Uh, His 2020 album, Fun City, was a number one UK dance album, and you may remember his performance when he closed out the Queerties this year. So please welcome to the podcast an incredible musician, a dear friend, and an icon on both sides of the Atlantic, 
Bright Light, Bright Light is on the QWERTY podcast with us today. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm so much better now. I've been called an icon. <laughs> That's made my day. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. How are you? Absolutely. Lovely on this dreary day in New York. You're still yeah. in the city, right? Yes, yes, yes. I ran here to be ready in time for the interview and realized that I'd forgotten umbrella, hat, everything. Oh, so, no. I, yeah, it was my full like um, carry moment from Sex in the City where everything goes wrong. <laughs> I felt fabulous. I'm sure we will find a bus that will spray you with that signature New York City, I don't know, <laughs> gutter liquid <laughs> stuff, <laughs> ooze, whatever it is. Yeah. It's really disgusting. I'm just, I'm glad no scientists have looked into what's actually in New York gutter Oof. water. Yeah, I know. I mean, after like they found like 5 million species of like things <laughs> living on the subway when COVID <laughs> hit, it's like, let's not do any of those tests anymore. We're all fine. Let's just pretend <laughs> that things happened. After a year where we faced so many realities, that is one thing. I'm psyched not to think about. One small respite, isn't it? Truly. Um, so, Rod, if I if I may call you by your non-stage name, by your government name. <laughs> you can call me whatever you like. All right, lovely. I would like to kind of start from the beginning with you. I want to know about your start in the music industry. How did you end up deciding to move to a country with terrible healthcare to pursue your artistry? <laughs> and and when did you decide on, on the stage name Bright Light, Bright Light and sort of start charting that path toward where you are now? So I used to make music, you know, when I was a kid and throughout college, um, which was primarily seen as like folky or like folk pop kind of thing, mainly because it wasn't electronic based. So it was pop music in essence, but I just didn't have the um, the skill or the equipment to make proper pop music at the time. And I moved to London initially to work doing music PR. I really, really wanted to oh, do wow. PR for bands. So I worked for a record label, um, interned there for a summer. And then I went back and I was a receptionist and then I was a PA and then I was a marketing assistant. Such glamour, you know, such glamour. I learned a lot about how the industry works. So I learned about how records get put into stores, how independent stores operate, how independent labels operate. And because I'm a truly insane person, I just quit my job <laughs> and thought that I'd just find another one, like maybe in an art gallery or something like that. <laughs> and obviously that didn't happen, but I started singing on the subway. So in the UK, there's like this scheme, like the London Underground busking mm -hmm. scheme. So I applied for that and I got a, a license. And so I did that like three days a week, like singing on the subway and did that and bar work and like paid my rent. So I started just like doing tiny little shows wherever I could find them and just did more and more and more and eventually had enough material to record a few songs properly and set up my own record label, put out the first song, which went nowhere, put out the second song, which went slightly less nowhere, but like <laughs> essentially nowhere. And then the third song I put out got Radio One play, which was like wild and opened the door for a lot more kind of like upper level shows that to start coming in. And then I had another song, which got a lot more Radio 1 play, and then did loads of festivals. And throughout all this time, I was really trying to work out what I wanted my sound to be. And it's difficult because when you have a first name, last name persona, people just write you off or they did at the time and they're like Jack Johnson, Rob Thomas, which oh, was no. dang dangerously close to my name. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was difficult to try and work out who I was or make people work out who I was. And so after that, I really thought about like what music makes me really happy, what makes me feel fabulous and excited to go on stage. And it was basically 90s dance music, 80s yes. pop, you know, <laughs> and I really wanted to learn how to make music that fit into that world because I started DJing and really wanted my songs to translate. So I quickly realized that like 
Rod Thomas was not going to fly making that kind of music. And the first thing that popped into my head was that line from Gremlins, Bright Light, Bright Light. And (laughs) I couldn't think of anything better. So I stuck with it (laughs) and then worked with a few cool friends that I knew and a producer called Boombip, who was in Neon Neon with uh, with Griff Reese, who's from Super Free Animals, Welsh Music Heritage. And yeah, just kind of worked out how to make this electronic landscape and slid into it. And I've just been coasting along ever since. It's been a a really wild career, like a very odd career, as I'm sure you know, like (laughs) just working with people I never expected to ever cross paths with and travel in the world. Yeah, it's been wild. Honestly, it's encouraging to also hear you be really honest about starting off in an industry because I think any artist knows that, you know, your first couple of tries at something aren't going to be great, right? Totally. And you have to kind of overcome that fear. And it's difficult. It's very easy to get uh, discouraged early on. I mean, I feel that in comedy. I feel that in my own writing as well. And, you know, it's kind of magical to just hear you now at this point be like, all right, if we're being honest, you know, my first two songs went nowhere and it was just a stroke (laughs) of talent and good luck. Like, that's wild. It's great. Like, I've really enjoyed watching your star rise as well. Like, you (laughs) people like you and Cola Scola, who I've been friends with and followed for a really long time and watching the tides shift a little bit where people are able to grow careers and it's not like in and then done you know like there's the time and the pacing of things is allowed to evolve a lot more now which i think is is really cool definitely now versus five to ten years ago there used to be a stigma about like not being signed if you were an artist not having an agent if you were a comedian or uh, an actor and now i feel like you don't have to worry about that as much anymore because people aren't concerned in the public about that so there's a little bit more room to breathe and experiment and grow and like actually find your feet which is very refreshing for any musicians that are actually listening please do not pin your hopes and dreams on being signed to a label an agent or whatever i have worked i am the only person in the world who has performed on the graham norton show as an unsigned artist yes and the only person in the world who has worked with all of elton john ellie golding share uh, Scissor Sisters, Erasure, John Grant, and not a single record label has ever wanted to work with me, ever. <laughs> so please do not let anybody make you feel like you're not worth doing your career because it really doesn't matter. It's like such a wild, wild roll of the dice, like who wants to work with you or not. And you can really achieve like insane things if you try. Like, I do not know how I'm in this position. <laughs> I have no idea. I want to ask, though, about because you live in New York and obviously yes. you mentioned that you were busking in the yes, the London. I mean, it's not the subway. It's what, what the tube, the tube, the, the, right lo- the London Underground, the London Underground. Yeah, oh, that sounds so uh, occult and kind of mischievous. Doesn't it? it sounds yeah. like very like serious face. The London Underground. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, OK, here we go. Is the announcement voice on those trains a lot more somber? It's you sh- it's a woman. It's this woman who has an amazing voice. She's like, the next station is Stepney Green. The next station is Bethnal Green. It's like, it's very weird. It's like, mind the gap. Mind the gap. You know that mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous. But she also sounds like she's delivering it with a smile. It's a bit like when people are like, um, we're just calling to remind you about your auto insurance. It's that kind of tone, you know? I love realizing that if your music career hadn't panned out, you fully could have been a voiceover artist. Oh, like, I'm you dying could to be a voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to do like trashy commercials and things like that. Oh, I love it. Okay, we're here. We're making it happen. We'll find you an agent for that. How about that? Perfect. I want to ask about something you talked about earlier. All these uh, collaborations. Just yeah. 
really I- I- impressive artists, folks like Elton John, Erasure, mm-hmm. Scissor Sisters. Very recently, you released a remix of your single, I Used to Be Cool, with Juju mm-hmm. B, who's Yay! a drag race legend and one of my faves. Uh, I want to know how you know when a collab is is going to happen. Like, what what's that spark? What makes for a good collaboration? And when is the moment where you're like, I got to do it with this person? And then obviously talk to me about Juju mm. because I, I love her so much. <laughs> well, first of all, I know that you're still quite a bit younger than me because you say collab, which is fabulous. <laughs> you know, a lot of it has been thinking about people who really inspired me from the first time that I listened to them or saw them and having like a kind of like dream Rolodex of people that I would love to work with, you know, people that make me want to work harder and make me want to create. And then there's whittling that down to like realms of reality and then whittling that down to like who would fit with the song that I kind of create and then whittling that down to like who would sort of tolerate that idea, you know? (laughs) And so like the net gets less wide as it goes along. But I've been very fortunate in that a lot of people that I really highly respect have agreed to work with me. And it's been like completely amazing. Most people don't know who Boom Biff is, but he's a really amazing electronic producer who was on um, Lex Records. And he did these like really highly acclaimed albums and EPs, like deeply electronic, super cool music. And then he did a collaboration called Neon Neon with Griff Reese. Um, Super Furry Animals, a huge million selling band in the UK, indie band. And so I knew Boom Bip through that collaboration. And he was the first person that I properly collaborated with. And that to me was like electronic royalty. I was so, I flew to to LA for two weeks to work with him on these songs. And I just didn't know what was happening. It was like so cool and so amazing. And then not long after I kind of met Elton John and I used to be managed by his management company that looks after lots of artists. And they'll say this as well. I've said this many times. They're really good at dealing with established artists, but they weren't so hot at like breaking new acts. True, and I yeah. was very new and unsigned. And I p- ended up parting ways with them on a very amicable terms. But Elton is so sneaky and he kind of keeps, <laughs> he, he's really sneaky. He's amazing. He keeps tabs on people. And so maybe like a year or two after that, I put out my first album. He phoned me <gasps> and he was like, I saw the review in the paper of your um of your album because it got four stars in this big publication i was like oh i, I did actually have a copy to send to you because i credited him as like a thanks in it as well oh yeah and he's like oh no i've ordered it off amazon <gasps> and then the next week when it was out he rang me he's like it's amazing come over for lunch so i went to his house for lunch <gasps> ah, scream i know i think it was like me and lulu which is like wild <laughs> um so i'm just there Lu- you know lulu's just like talking and laughing and singing and like Elton John just being iconic. And then there's me just being like, what is happening? And so we became friends, I think, because I am ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of liked keeping me around. And so we just hung out and became really good friends over a year or so. And we talk about music. I'm a crazy, you can see, like you can't see on the podcast, but behind <laughs> my record shelves, I have like a really like encyclopedic knowledge of certain aspects of music. And he loved that. And so we would talk about stuff and then talked about working together. And I sent him a song and I he was in Atlanta at the time I was in New York. So I flew to Atlanta to record the vocals with him in the studio where Crazy Sexy Cool was recorded. Wild, <gasps> wild. And yeah, decided that was going to be the single for the second album. And he invited me to go on tour with him for a year and a half. Wild. And then from that, I think, like, I had a little bit more cachet and people just sort of paid attention and let me at least reach out to them. And 
I think like the, the queer artists definitely got the fact that I was doing something that wasn't throwaway and that it had like mm. a bit of a soul because all of the music I have made is in some way related to or representative of the queer community, like the nightlife world or um, the community of collaborators that I, I love to work with, culminating in Fun City, which is like 12 LGBTQ plus guests on it. And that's what I was working towards. And I think like Elton saw that and then, you know, Erasure saw that and Scissor Sisters. They have a special shout out for me because when I was graduating from college, they released their first album and it was in the UK. It sold 2 million copies in its first year. They played my graduation ball, <gasps> right? So it was them and Amy Winehouse played my graduation ball. What? Wild. <laughs> what? Absolutely <laughs> wild. I had a radio show at college with my friend called Thin and Gorgeous and we used to play like ridiculous <laughs> pop songs and we used to play Scissor Sisters all the time and then when I came to New York before I moved here um, I had like a, a drink with Dell like Elton's manager put us in touch or something like that and we hung out got on really well and so I got him to sing on one of the tracks on the first record when he knew when it was coming out, he gave it to the rest of the band. It was like, this guy has to come on tour with us. And I did. <laughs> I opened for them in the UK. We became really good friends. And then that really was my catalyst to move to New York. I think it was like, these people live there. They're fantastic. Their friends are fantastic. Like Xavier and Michael and Bridget Barkin and all these people. Like, it just felt like, finally, I found a music family, which I never... I never got to find in London, unfortunately. I had lots of really good friends, but it wasn't like a community. Like I was always the unsigned artist. I was like the run, honestly. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I would be out and I would see people from the industry like kind of looking down on me around my friends, which felt really awful. And I felt like in New York, people weren't doing that. They were just giving people a chance to show what they did and just respecting that. As the years progressed, I worked with more and more people and became friends with them. Like I'm I'm still friends with everyone that's on a record of mine and I'm really proud of that. That's so beautiful to hear too because I think, I don't know, somebody very much outside the industry, you are obviously a, a wonk and you know it from many <laughs> different angles. I also think that maybe that's what kind of has connected you with these folks, right? Because you're telling me this Elton John story and I am, my jaw was dropped for most of that. You were like, Elton called. And I'm yeah, like, wait, insane. that's a story unto itself. Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. But I think it's because you're not treating this as something throwaway, right? You are yeah. deeply invested in, in the artistry and, and the thing that you're making and it's not so much maybe a, a ploy for fame as it is literally just doing the thing that you love, right? Absolutely. The fact that you are unsigned and still pursuing this craft at this level, it, it speaks to that, right? And I obviously I cannot speak on behalf of Scissor Sisters or Elton mm -hmm. John, but it sounds to me like maybe that's that connective tissue that really just regardless of how famous or major or iconic people are or are soon to be, um, that is, that's really something that, that connects and it's beautiful to kind of hear how these things come about. It's really just, who are you vibing with? Like, <laughs> yeah, great. exactly. I think for me, when I was being inspired by people or realizing the people that were inspiring me as, you know, a kid, a teen, a 20 something year old, a tween, whatever it is, like it was the people that like would shape shift, but you could still tell it was them. So like Björk, Grace Jones, Madonna, Pet Shop Boys, Erasure, Elton mm. John, David Bowie, you know, they played with so many identities. And then, you know, Bette Midler as well, because she's just <gasps> yes. like completely fabulous, completely mm -hmm. fabulous. Mariah Carey, absolutely endless diva icon. I can't cope. Please work with me, Mariah. <laughs> and just seeing now the people I've met, the people I have such respect for, the people like Justin Vivian Bond, Sandra mm -hmm. Bernhard, people that have like done the long game and constantly adapt and evolve and stay 
very like eyes open and heart open to the community and they really do something so special like I, I love the energy that they bring into the world not just their music but like the, the whole world that they build around it like I was not interested in making vacuous songs that meant nothing to anyone like I definitely have some like inane songs that are just for the dance floor. Like, don't get me wrong, I am a gay. <laughs> that is meaningful. That's powerful. <laughs> but yeah, I've had some of my most spiritual moments on a dance floor. So, hundred <laughs> percent. Some of my most disgraceful as well. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like there's so much you can do with the creative world, and I feel like. I, I love what I do. I'm not really very good at anything else. <laughs> so I don't know what else I would do if I didn't make music. And I have no delusions that I'm going to be Ariana Grande. But I also <laughs> have no delusions that I'm not capable of doing what I do. So I'm just, I just keep going. I don't know if you could ever be an Ariana Grande because we'd have to stack one on top of another, right? I, you would need two Ariana Grandes yes. in a trench coat. Maybe I could just like hide under her hair, you know? Yeah. It's very high. The high pony really, it does. <laughs> I love it. Doing it's some it, heavy lifting. I'm obsessed. It's iconic. <laughs> this sounds like a great point to maybe take a little break. And when we come back, I am going to ask you a few more questions, namely about um, Drag Race UK, if you've been watching. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe yes, yes, some of it. your favorite divas. Yeah. So Fabulous. we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with the Queerty Podcast. Welcome back. We are here with an incredible guest, Bright Light, Bright Light. And now it is time to talk about something that has taken at least my living room by storm, perhaps the world, the UK version of Drag Race. And you are a Welsh-born artist. And yes. we did have a finalist from Wales. So I'm wondering yes. if you've been watching and how you feel about all of this and how you feel about Americans sort of consuming UK drag as well, which I'm sure is very disorienting. <laughs> Americans definitely are incapable of deciphering other accents. That's <laughs> 100% the case. But I've really loved how much Americans have enjoyed the UK drag race. They really loved seeing this side of UK culture that they don't really get to see because like UK drag is very different from the US mm -hmm. drag mm -hmm. in the way that New York drag is very different from like Chicago drag or LA drag. But it was really cool to see this season as well, where they definitely fine tuned season one's flow. Mm. And it, it was great. I think it was an incredibly strong season of Queens. I'm so thrilled to have Tace in the top four. She's like, she makes me so happy. And just hearing a Welsh accent on a TV show like that is just amazing. Like we, we grew up, I think if she's from Newport, I think we're about 50 miles apart, something like oh, that. Wow. So really nice to hear a Newport girl on the finals. I loved the season. I had such a blast watching it. I don't know what it is. There's kind of this unnameable quality where every now and then a season of Drag Race comes along that captures that kind of magic or yeah. unpredictability of those early seasons where there's no pretense. There are moments that feel raw and authentic, whether yes. or not they are. And I, I think this was a season where so many contestants really felt like they weren't putting on airs. They were just being themselves. Those finalists, Bimini, Lawrence, and Tate, were just really, really incredible. I was so blown away. They were all so different as well. Exactly. It was really great. Like they all had skills that complemented or supplemented another. And I really think that it was just such a good top four, uh, top three, I suppose, as well, like mm -hmm. when it whittled it down. Oh, true, Ellie. Yeah, not yeah. to not to sideline our poor Scottish deer. There were two Scots in the, there were two the Scots, top four, yeah. though, so we had to knock one off, right? Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, the skill level, though, of all of them, I think, was really mm-hmm. incredible. Like, Ellie's makeup skills, just, like, wild. It was a fantastic season. I'm I'm really enjoying it. It was confusing watching it, like, in tandem with the US season. Mm-hmm. Because, like, especially in the first couple of weeks where there's, like, a million queens and you're trying to remember who's on what season. But the UK one gave me such deep joy. It was amazing to see, after that COVID break, how mm. Bimini came back with, like, a rocket up her ass. You know, it was so impressive. And I do think she should have won for that. They should have won for that because the the change was so drastic and so smart and really like, I have paid attention to the critiques Mm -hmm. and I have upped my game like phenomenally. I'm so impressed with that performance. I'm so impressed. And they also brought, in my opinion, kind of a a razor sharp wit and Mm -hmm. and very focused commentary and point of view to what they were saying, right? I think every comment on politics or gender or anything, any injustice, didn't feel heavy-handed. It was very yeah. cheeky and very thoughtful and, I don't know, very critical in an exciting way, right? Yeah. Because, you, you know, we see with, like, folks like Sasha Velour, RuPaul as a host is always like, don't get too serious on me now. Mm-hmm. And I think Bimini really kind of towed that line beautifully. And also just fashion-wise, when she came out as a, a bacterium or a, the, a Yeah, that was amazing. Ugh. It was like um, as if Sophie was dressed in Bjork's, <gasps> um, in Bjork's Volnacura outfit, you know? Ugh. It was like oh a mishmash of these two icons. It was really, yeah. really so fabulous and really mm-hmm. just unexpected and smart. It was so cool. Truly, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, those last three, it really could have gone either way. Tasa's dancing alone could have taken the I crown. I screamed. <laughs> it was so good. I screamed. I don't think she's the most polished of all the queens as much sure, as I wanted yeah. her to win. But mm-hmm. when she did that performance, I was like, this is like a Janet Jackson stadium show worthy performance. It was mm-hmm. absolutely flawless. I couldn't, I couldn't cope. I thought I was going to die. Incredible. Okay, now I want to see you judge this show. We've got I to get you be on a as a judge. I have been I trying for it. five goddamn years to be a judge <laughs> on this, and I'm just not famous enough, and it's so annoying. Okay, you know who we need to pick up the phone now, right? Elton. Elton yes, needs exactly. to place a few more calls. I'm <laughs> sure he's got Michelle Visage on speed dial after she uh, did Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. Was that what she did? Oh, gosh. I also love just tacking on babes at the end of something. Babes. I know. It's That's so much so London. I love it. Hiya, babes. You're right, babes. Love that. Babes is funny to me because it's kind of sweet and it's also trash, but it's like, it's just so silly. I just love it. Hiya, babes. <laughs> even that, even the voice you put on for it is great. It's a little Hi, sultry. Babes. You're right, babes. Yeah. <laughs> See, voice actor in the make. We got it. Yeah. We're going to give you an, an a, a, a saucy <laughs> animated role. We got it. I would love that. Yes. But I have to ask one more thing. I yes. know there's like an iconic shelf. You're in the process of moving. I should say that, right? I am, But yes. in your previous apartment, there was an iconic shelf above yes. your glowing piano. Mm-hmm. And there was always like there were rotating albums, vinyls. Vinyl yes. albums uh, on those shelves. So A, I, I've got to ask, how do you curate those shelves? And B, which diva has graced those shelves most frequently? I've got like a top three, I imagine, but I want to hear it from you. Right. <laughs> so I tried to do like a seasonal arrangement. So I did actually have a mirror of that shelving unit the other side of the room. So the other side of the room was all horror scores because I'm a big horror movie wow. fan. Oh, I love that. Um, so that was like a year-round horror movie score scene. And then above the piano, it was LGBTQ plus icons and allies. Yes. So I would swap a few of them out. But the constant there was my signed Glitter Mariah Carey album, which she hand-signed for me. 
which is fabulous. That w- that was there permanently. I had a Sylvester, um, someone like you, which was the Keith Haring design. Yes. One of the coolest, coolest records. I sent Elton that, actually. I found it in a charity store for him a few weeks ago. Oh. I had France Jolie, who was like a cool old disco singer. Love her. Yes. Love her. You might remember her name being mispronounced by Francis Aja. Francis Jolie, yes. Francis they Jolie. just had another branding, uh, I think, challenge <laughs> last week. And I was like, please, please, do- let's not have another Francis Jolie moment. Let's not do that. <laughs> Who else is on there? Uh, Grace Jones. I think it was Mm. the Do or Die single, which is amazing. A band called Dubstar from the UK, who I really love. They're one of my most played bands in the world. Didn't make it over here, but huge Mm. in the UK. And there was one other. But it's usually a mixture of like, a diva, mm-hmm. a male LGBTQ plus icon, a black LGBTQ plus icon. And then the others are like a little bit of disco or a diva thrown in there. So Kylie Minogue is there quite often. Usually oh, yes. the, the Light Years album, which is my fave. <laughs> there might be a George Michael or two, a bet moment. Janet Jackson was up there during Black History Month. Who else goes up there on that little plinth? The plinth. That's the word the I was plinth. looking for. Yeah, there you go. I don't, I don't think that's the correct word, honestly. Uh, that's why not. Let's go with it. <laughs> yeah, it's usually like a, a mixture of those those kind of people. I find them really mm-hmm. inspiring. Like Mariah Carey just makes me howl with laughter every single mm-hmm. time I read a tweet. Can't cope. It's my little reminding me why I'm lucky to be alive mm. and creating and to to keep a little bit of history in everything I do. I love that, right? That's it's kind of your own inspiration board, maybe. Yeah. My little my little mood board. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's a great rotating cast of musicians. Like the fact that I knew Sylvester's voice before I knew who Sylvester was. Like I yeah, heard exactly. their music exactly. when I was little and I was like, who is this? And finally yeah. when I found out in college, I was like, oh just inhaled all of it. Thank you. That was more a, a for me question because I I was really interested in that process. I've always saw some really iconic music there. Um, so RIP to that little corner, but I'm excited oh, to see. I'm going to re- recreate build. it in the next one. Don't worry. Beautiful. Fantastic. She's not going anywhere. Yeah. Some great Keith Haring artwork. I'm very thrilled to see Fabulous. what's to come. And I'm excited for your Romeo and Michelle parties to come back. Yeah, me too. Just thrilled. Thank you, Rod, for coming on today too, to share so many of these fun memories and stories that I have never gotten a chance to hear. This was thrilling for me. I want to share uh, with all our guests where they can find you, your music to listen to, um, what events are happening or upcoming maybe in the future, talk to us. So all of my social handles are at brightlightx2, which is Bright Light X2, however you say it in American. Bright Light X2. Um, <laughs> that was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. People constantly misunderstand me in this country and I've been here for a really long time. Or it's brightlightx2.com and I'm very active on the socials, obviously, because I'm stuck in my apartment at the moment. There's online events. I usually do one a month, like an online DJ set. And hopefully I'll be back at Club Coming on the Saturdays for the Romy party when, you know, things are back to normal. Or at least normal-ish, normal adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. I have like another album coming out soon-ish, <gasps> which we're uh, doing a little pre-order. Yes. It's called So Gay, So Dramatic. Oh, and perfect. it is a collection of all the B-sides that I've released in my career to date. So it's like a special collection um, for fans. And yeah, I also run like a little record label called Yes Queen. And I do monthly playlists on Spotify of queer artists, LGBTQ plus artists. So if you email Rod at yskwn.com if you make your own music um, and submit yourself for the playlist. I love to 
amplify as many people as I can. And on that note, I would like to thank you personally, Gabe, for all of your social media, for being so just like so present and so on the ball. Like I've loved watching you use your voice to uplift and to inform over the last year. It's been really amazing. And thank you for doing that so far. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's been such an honor to have you on the show to hear how you've also been helping uplift other queer artists and have sort of stuck the course because it's it's what you're passionate about. It's just such a breath of fresh air to have sat down to talk to you today. And as always, whether we are far or near, I have uh, very much love for you. You hold a very dear place in my heart. So thanks for joining us today. Love you too, babes. Yes. (laughs) Love you, babes. Tell Elton I say hi, babes. Well, do, babes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to run this into the ground now. (laughs) Well, thank you to listeners for, for tuning in today. And please make sure to support Bright Light, Bright Light on all socials and in all future endeavors. Rod is really fantastic. And please make sure to support the QWERTY podcast however you can. You can subscribe, rate, and review our show right now wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get your QWERTY fix every day at QWERTY.com. Thanks again for listening today, and we'll see you next week. QWERTY has been a dream production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. QWERTY is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shireen Lonnie Yunez, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Motz. Forever.